Chatters. I'm Nat. And I'm Pat. And welcome to the Crime Chat. I am your forensic femme fatale and Natalie is your true crime addict connoisseur. We're just two normal girls who obsess about dark crimes, evil minds, and occasionally the unknown. Here is your disclaimer, Chatters. The following Crime Chat contains adult content and descriptions of potentially violent scenarios. Your listener discretion is advised. You have been warned. And before we get into today's Crime Chat, Kat, what have you done? Where are you right now? <laughs> if you're watching on the video <laughs> on our Patreon, uh, I have the northern lights behind me. Isn't it beautiful? Yes. <laughs> so Nat got me for my birthday a green screen. So I had to use it. You can go anywhere now. I can go can anywhere. anywhere. I can do anything. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> well, before we get into anything, I just want to give a shout out because Kat and I both are wearing our Crime Chat Crime and Cosmetics yes. palette tonight. And I'm wearing the glitter. I love the glitter. Yes, it's gorgeous. I'm, I did the red and the black, mm. but look at those colors, girl. They're beautiful. That's blood. Right yes, there. it is. A blood bathery. That's crazy. <laughs> and the glitter is so, like, you put it on, it stays. Like, it's oh, it does. It's very it's pigmented. Glitter for days. <laughs> It's glitter for days. Well, we want to thank the people who have been supporting us yes. and the makeup artists who have been just spreading the good word about the palette. Yes. Uh, we had Lady Venom, Tenacity. You know, Mad Love put the, the palette together for us. That's who we collabed with, Mad Love Cosmetics. Mm-hmm. And Maddie from Mad Love is amazing. Yes. And a couple of the makeup artists. Who else participated in that? Nikki B. Nikki B. And I think Alyssa Scott as well. Okay. Yeah. Thank you, ladies. Yes, thank thank you you so so much. much. And thank you for purchasing. And it's still not too late. We've got some palettes left. Yes. Just go to www.madlovecosmetics.com to get yours. Be sure to use the promo code Crime Chat. Mm-hmm. Let them know Nat and Kat sent you. <laughs> right? Exactly. And there's all kinds of stuff on there. There's some beautiful palettes, accessories. Actually, I went on to <laughs> Lisa Marie Hart has a blush palette. Mm-hmm. And every time I go on there, it's still sold out. Like, I want this blush palette so bad. Can you pre-order it? Well, it was on pre-order and then it was gone. What? So I'm hoping they bring it back. wait a minute. Don't we kind of like know her? Can't we kind of like ask her to be like, (laughs) hey, girl? (laughs) We'll see. We'll see. But I want to get my hands on that blush palette. Yeah, so thank you to Mad Love and to all the makeup artists that have been using our palette, to our chatters who have supported us in purchasing Mm -hmm. the palette. We want to see your looks. Yeah. Send them to us. Let's do that. We should do. You know what? Okay. Yeah. Kat and I are going to come up with something really fun for chatters to do with this palette. (laughs) Maybe we'll do like something like a giveaway or something. But we're going to we're going to come up with the rules and what you have to do. But we'll make it fun. Yes. And also we have other things possibly coming out. Maybe some new evidence. Maybe a little crime scene beauty kit. A little trace evidence. Maybe, maybe, maybe. So what have you been doing, Kat? So it's been a while. We've we've had a little bit of a rough start to season two. Yeah. So in the midst of hurricanes and uh, I'm getting over the flu, mm-hmm. I'm trying to not sound so nasally, but it's going to happen. We both sound like we're from New York right now. <laughs> yes. Yes, we do. We should say Fran, Fran Drescher. We both. I like her. Marissa Tomei from uh, my cousin Vinny. So I will do my best not to cough. (laughs) But I've had time to like um, do a lot of binge watching. Mm -hmm. And I have some sad news. Oh, no. No. The Walking Dead is over. 
a moment it's of over. silence. Let's just give it a moment. I need a minute. Okay. Oh, Minute's oh. over. <laughs> I know. Oh, I know. An era has come to an end. It has. Yes. And so the season finale, well, series finale really was great. It, it kind of led you up to all the different types of spinoffs. And then, of course, Rick showed up at the very end. He didn't die on the bridge. So was it like at the very, very end when he came? The very, very end. Like a cowboy, he just came strolling up with the sunset? It's a little, it, not really. Okay. okay. <laughs> Were you watching it when, when Rick was killed, quote, quote, killed? No. Okay. Mm-mm. It led up to give you an indication. It, I mean, how it happened, it would be very surprising anybody would survive mm-hmm. that because it was a lot of blowing up and a lot of fire and it was a lot of... Mm-hmm. He was basically kidnapped oh. afterwards. By who? Well, I am assuming we're going to find out. But they Uh-oh. basically led it up to where, at the end, spoiler alert, where <laughs> he escaped and was writing a letter to Judith and writing a letter to Michonne and, like, a letter in a bottle, literally, like, rolling it up, putting it in a bottle, throwing it in a zombie-filled river. Right. And they located him. Uh, can- like, because he kind of escaped. I don't know what, I don't know where he's at. I mean, so the spinoff series Rick and Michonne mm-hmm. is probably going to answer a lot of those questions about where he's been okay what's going on and there's also a Daryl spinoff <gasps> Daryl's still kicking Carol's still kicking <laughs> <laughs> those are like the two OGs yeah. that are still yeah, around they would have died if Daryl if, if anything ever happened to Daryl we riot Oh, gosh, yes. Oh, yes. Daryl Dixon. Norman Reedus. Like a rough kind of sexy. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And then there's going to be a Negan and Maggie spinoff as well. Which, a combination I still don't get, but... You know, and in the last episode, too, it was very touching. They had a very nice, like, dialogue moment. Mm Mm-hmm. So Negan had been a prisoner for several seasons by our lead group, and he went away for a while and then ended up coming back to the group, but he was trying to become just like a regular citizen. And then finally, on the, on the last episode, Maggie tells him, you've earned your place and you're welcome to stay and essentially not be a prisoner because he saved your life actually on a couple occasions but oh. he also he put a her. bat to Glenn's head. Yeah, he Lucille. did. Lucille. Whatever happened to Lucille? Yeah. I think Lucille's like long gone. Yeah. Something happened to Lucille. I don't remember. Did you know Lucille was after his wife? That's why he named the bat Lucille. Because he loved her or because he hated her? No, he loved her. Oh, she, okay. She died early on in the apocalypse. She had cancer. Okay. Like when everything happened. And she ended up dying. But when he became the way that he was, when we first were introduced to him, yeah. the bat was named after his wife, Lucille. Wow. But he's, he's so she, obviously she's passed away, whatever. He's married again and he's got a baby on the way. Oh, Okay. So that'll be that'll be interesting. I'm really excited to see kind of the spin-offs and keep the story going. Mm. But other than that, um, I've watched the Interview with the Vampire Anne Rice series, also mm-hmm. on AMC. Freaking amazing. We talked about it before. Yeah. Grey Worm. Grey Worm is the lead character from Game of Thrones. Right. And then I've also, Chris and I binge-watched The Serpent Queen, which is on Stars, And the lead character in that was a main villain in a couple seasons in The Walking Dead. I have to check that out. Yeah. Okay. No, it's 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 got a dark, twisted comedy to it. Okay. All right. I like that. Yeah. And then right now we are binging Ozark, which is amazing show, series, too. I love that series. But that stopped, too. When did that end? There's no more seasons for that show, right? I don't know, actually. Okay. I know the last... This, the most recent season just came out this year. Oh, it did? Oh, they're still running it. Okay. 
I thought but it I don't ended. know if it's the end end. I'm okay. not sure. It's good. It's great. Okay. What about you? You been you've have you had time to watch anything? Uh yes, I got hooked on a Netflix series called Blown Away. It's actually been out. It's been out for 3 years and reality like game competition where there there are, are like artists that blow glass. Glass okay. blowing artists. Oh, wow. Okay. And it's really really cool and amazing and just they're their art I never knew about it wow I always knew about glass blowing but I never like watched like how intense it is yeah immediately looking for classes to take in Florida <laughs> and I found a couple so hopefully oh, have maybe you? yeah oh that is the coolest thing I, I they're so pretty I, if I if I go glass blowing I will share some pictures on the patreon yeah <laughs> and I won't kill myself I will not set myself on fire <laughs> promise <laughs> maybe <Yeah>. hope not <laughs> Oh my God. So, Kat, before you get into today's story, okay, which I know is going to be a doozy. Oh, it is. It is. I'm going to go over some close calls that, of assassinations for presidents. Like, you know, because we've had a couple, Kat. Like, yeah. did you know that American presidents have been targeted for assassination more than 20 times in our history? You know, I knew it was quite a few but that that's more than I thought yeah and you know something probably 20 that we know well that's true too you know I'm sure yeah I'm sure there's a lot that we don't know all the secrets. secrets with four of the presidents actually being assassinated who they are Lincoln Garfield McKinley and JFK mm-hmm. what I'm gonna recap are eight failed attempts that almost succeeded okay okay first one on January 30th 1835 on the steps of the US Capitol an unemployed house patron named Richard Lauren pro president Andrew Jackson and pulled a gun on him however it misfired oops Jackson, being the badass that he was, pulled out his cane and beat his ass. Okay. <laughs> yes. However. And that's, and that's, but I mean, that's when like presidents were like approachable yeah. and like walking on the street, like any type of politician or, you know, whatever right. now. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It was, it, there was no secret service back then. So, however, Richard did come with plan B and he had a second pistol. He pulled that one out and guess what? That misfired too. So. Oh, oops. Yeah. Oops. oops. That's a that's a big oopsie. Yeah. So that was the the Smithsonian Institute later determined that the odds of both pistols misfiring are one in one hundred and twenty five thousand. This dude is really unlucky. Yeah, that's bad odds. Yeah, bad odds. Yeah. He would be tried for this assassination attempt. And I, I love how they say it, like, the assassination attempt. It, he tried to assassinate him twice, okay? Yeah. In one single, one single event. Assassination attempts. Attempts. Right, exactly. But he was found not guilty as a re- reason of insanity, and he would spend the rest of his life in an insane asylum. Mm. So, next one is in August 1864, President Lincoln was riding his horse in Washington, D.C. at night alone, which is not good. I don't know. Today, that would never happen. Oh, no, no, no. You don't now, have... Now, uh, the presidents go out for runs and stuff, and they got the Secret Service right there with them. Yeah. Not yet. Yeah. They don't even drive cars. Like, you can't go anywhere with... No. No. So, an unidentified gunman fired a single shot the bullet passed right through his tom hat which is that long tall black hat oh, yeah. that he used to wear his signature hat his signature hat and it missed his head by inches Ooh. yeah but i, guess... I wonder is that i wonder if that hat is anywhere in any museum Ooh, that's a good question Ooh. That would be interesting if huh. it is i will i will pull the picture of it and put it on the patreon <laughs> okay <laughs> 
On uh, October 14, 1912, Teddy Roosevelt ran for president, and during one of his campaign speeches in Milwaukee, a saloon keeper shot him once in the chest. Roosevelt, his 50-page speech that he was going to read that day, including his eyeglass case, actually slowed the bullet down. That oh. saved his life. Oh, yeah. So, oh, wow. That's, uh, yeah. that's some heavy words there. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And... <laughs> Stubborn Roosevelt, he was determined that he was just fine and he gave his speech anyway. He spoke for 90 minutes, showing even like opening up his his coat to show the bloody shirt while he's bleeding at that moment, yeah. saying that it takes more than that to kill a bull moose, which we've determined, Kat and I determined that that means that's a male moose, right? Yeah, just or just like, you you know, you ever heard of somebody being bullheaded? Yeah. That's kind of like stubborn. Okay. That's kind of maybe. <laughs> Sounds good. It does sound good. Okay, so now on February 15th, 1933, Franklin D. Roosevelt's presidency was almost over before it began after a gunman opened fire on him in Miami three weeks before he was sworn in. Roosevelt was unhurt, but there were four other people that were injured, and the Chicago mayor at the time, Anton Zermak, was killed. However, there is a conspiracy surrounding this one, and it states that FDR was not the target. It was Uh actually the mayor, because the mayor had a feud with Capone. And I believe that. I totally believe that. Oh, yeah. We did a couple of mob episodes last season. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Capone had some some tricky friends. He's he mm-hmm. had friends everywhere. Yeah. yeah. In 1981, and I remember this as a child. I remember seeing this on the TV. Ronald Reagan was walking back to his limousine at the Capitol, and he and three other men were shot by John Hinckley Jr. Mm-hmm. Hinckley claimed afterwards that he tried to kill the president to impress the actress Jodie Foster at the time. I remember this. Mm-hmm. And. Crime chat fun fact. Mm. I was told I looked like Jodie Foster growing up. You're prettier than Jodie Foster. No. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> but no, I'll, I'll put some pictures up on the Patreon and you chatters out there, you can let us know what you think. Do a poll. I'll try to find some like, you know, adolescent preteen type pictures. I mean, she was really big then anyways, like mm-hmm. Silence of the Lambs and, you know, she was pretty, pretty popular. And that movie Contact, which is like the worst movie that has ever been filmed have you ever seen that yeah oh it's been a very very long time but yeah oh my god ah so during this no one died but the press secretary james brady was permanently disabled and he actually became the catalyst behind the brady bill which institutes instituted the federal background checks for people purchasing firearms yes and he's still in the he's still in the media you can still see him yeah he's still around Mm mm-hmm Three months into Bill Clinton's presidency, during a trip to Kuwait University, 14 men believed to be working for Hassan Hussein smuggled explosives to assassinate him with car bombs mm. as revenge for defeating Iraq in the Gulf War. Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah. Well, I mean, so Kuwait are our friends. Mm-hmm. They, they love Americans. We saved their country. So they yeah. were like, they will be like forever indebted to us. And their federal military police secret service-ish, like similar. They're fierce. fierce. They're fierce. Yeah. That's and uh, no fucks given. Good. It's good to have, it's good <laughs> to have strong friends, you know, powerful yeah. friends. In 1996, Clinton's mo- motorcade was traveling through Manila about to cross the bridge and the intelligence officers intercepted a message suggesting that there was an attack coming the secret Mm. service director ordered a reroute of the motorcade and did not cross the bridge and they later found that there was a bomb on the structure 
that crazy? Yeah. Ooh. I kind of remember this. I was, it was the very, very, very beginning of my service mm-hmm. around this time frame, but I want to say I remember that. Yeah. Like, yeah. That's pretty scary. Yeah. The American government's investigation of the plot revealed that its mastermind was the Saudi terrorist living in Afghanistan at the time. Named okay, that's Osama why. Osama bin Laden. That's why I know. That's why I remember it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> in 2005, George W. Bush was giving a speech in the Republic of Georgia when a man in the crowd pulled a pin and threw a hand grenade, mm. which only landed 61 feet away from Bush at the time. Mm-hmm. However, the hand grenade was wrapped with a red handkerchief, and when he went to throw it, I guess the pin, it was wrapped so tightly that the pin didn't allow it to, like, Well, because you hold, you hold the grenade down and you pull the pin. So it probably, the pressure... The handle probably was a firing pin. What's a firing pin? Because that's what they called it in the story. Firing pin. So it's it's an it's basically like an igniter, something that kind of makes the spark go. So Mm -hmm. I'm imagining that the handle probably you pull the pin and the handle probably wasn't released. Like once the handle releases, that's when Mm -hmm. it probably strikes the firing pin or the igniter and it makes it go kaboom. So it was probably wrapped so tight around the handle. That makes sense. That even though he pulled the pin, Mm -hmm. it wasn't able to detonate. That makes sense. What a crazy, freaky (laughs) thing to do. Okay. Well, um, the, the attacker, when this failed attempt was happening, he melted back into the crowd and was apprehended only months later to confess confessed to the assassination attempt. Mm. So that was just some of our presidential close calls. Mm. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk about a we're going to talk about an actual call, okay. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> and this episode is a chatter request from Tom. So shout out to Tom. Shout out Tom. He quest we were in Germany together and then we were in DC together um when I was working. Mm-hmm. And of course talking about the podcast and everything. He was fascinated with the Marilyn Monroe stuff. He's like, you know, <laughs> it'd be great to see if this lone gunman theory of Lee Harvey Oswald is a thing. He's like, I think it's a conspiracy. I think it's a conspiracy. So that's what we're gonna be talking about. We're this is gonna be the first part. We're gonna kinda get into a little bit of the history of Lee Harvey Oswald and and next episode, we're going to talk about the assassination tips, some of the more conspiracies. Okay. But it is just at 59 years since Lee Harvey Oswald shot and killed President John F. Kennedy in Dallas, Texas. It was in November of 1963. But as many events in the public eye, some question, did he work alone? What do you think, Nat? I do not. Negative. I think he... I don't think it was a he. I don't. I don't think he did it. You don't think he did it? I think. I think there was a conspiracy. I think that. I think it was. I think. I don't know. I think. There, I believe the grassy knoll. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so we'll talk about that. Okay. We'll talk about some of the theories. We'll talk about where he was at. Some of the evidence that's part of the investigation and how they determined it to be Lee Harvey Oswald. Mm-hmm. But you're not alone. About two-thirds of Americans believe there's more to the investigation than was released, and this quote-unquote lung gunman theory is just a cover-up. Mm. A Gallup poll taken April 2001 indicated Americans believed it was a conspiracy and there were more people involved than just Lee Harvey Oswald. Now, I'm going to refer to Lee Harvey Oswald mostly as LHO, okay. just because it's easier to say. Okay. So if I say LHO, that equals Lee Harvey Oswald. Okay. Not that it's a super long name, but it's just easier to say it's LHO. It's a cool nickname. I like it. Cool. So this Gallup poll states, quote, Americans cite the mafia, which is 13%, and the federal government another 13%, most often, when saying that there's conspiracy, followed by CIA, 7%, Fidel Castro, 
or Cuba at 5%, and then another 5% were, quote, special interests who disagreed with Kennedy's policies, end quote. Now, this 40% of Americans, while they couldn't necessarily name a person or a group mm. involved in the conspiracy, most people, most Americans believe that there is more to it. Yeah. We'll talk about how this came about, too. So, as we talked about in the Marilyn Monroe two-part series that we did last season, Robert Kennedy pursued numerous cases against organized crime, specifically Jimmy Hoffa and the Mafia, while he served as Attorney General. And there was also a conspiracy regarding Fidel Castro-led assassination due to the 1961 invasion of Cuba during JFK's federal presidency. Are you ready to get into the communism and conspiracies surrounding Lee Harvey Oswald and the assassination of President John F. Kennedy? Let's do it. All right, here we go. We're diving deep, chatters. The John F. Kennedy Dallas Police Department collection contains over 11,400 documents and photographs, including homicide reports, affidavits, witness statements, newspaper clippings, and other correspondence. The Dallas Municipal Archives, a division of the city's secretary's office, possesses all of these original files, except those that have been transferred permanently to the Federal Investigation Collection at National Archives. It also contains 404 photographs that include the sniper's nest in the downtown Dallas, Texas School Book Depository Building, where LHO allegedly fired on Kennedy's motorcade, the back and front yards of the boarding house at 214 Neely, and we'll talk about some of his addresses, the Dealey Plaza, the intersection of 10th Street and Penn Avenue, where Oswald allegedly fatally shot Dallas Patrolman J.D. Tippett. We'll talk about that. Interiors of the Texas Theater, where LHO was arrested by Dallas police, and the basement of the Dallas City Hall, where Jack Ruby shot and killed Lee Harvey Oswald on November 24th, 1963. Now, in the absence of meaningful local or federal open records laws that came into around the 1970s, (coughs) Watergate, Mm -hmm. (coughs) the Kennedy records were more forgotten than actually restricted and were open to public inspection through a few specifically made written requests to the department or the police chief. A first set of documents related to the Kennedy assassination were discovered by the city's record management officer during a records inventory of the Dallas Police Department in 1989, 26 years later. They found these documents and they're like, oh shit, we probably should do something with this. A president is dead. How does something like that get lost? Right. So between 1963, when JFK was assassinated, and 1989, when these documents were discovered, they were housed in a filing cabinet with other historical materials and subsequently appraised as no longer administratively needed by the police department. However, since they possessed historical and permanent value, they were transferred to the municipal archives. Most of the time after this, they would be destroyed. Mm. All the records would be destroyed. Even even for a presidential... Well, and that's because of who it was. Yeah. That's why they decided to keep it and archive it. Okay. While it appeared the records were closed, in truth, they were never actually meant to be restricted. And this is part of... I'll kind of get into this part of the conspiracy of when everything started to pop up. A little-known press release from Dallas Police Chief Jesse Curry on November 25th, 1963 stated, quote, When the investigation in the case of Lee Harvey Oswald is completed, insofar as the Dallas Police Department is concerned, we intend to make the entire file public unless federal authorities specifically request some part be withheld and turned over to them. Unless we are specifically instructed otherwise from Washington, we believe it can and should become public information. At this time, we cannot designate when a release will be made. Now, this was made immediately after, like, the assassination, right? Uh So they made this statement saying, when everything's done, we'll release it. So it was never intended to be, like, restricted or super secret files. Right. Now, nearly 30 years 
after this chief's forgotten utterance in his press conference, it did become reality. Mm. Of the records and everything that happened, much more notice was taken after the addition of several more feet of documents in 1992. And this is large. Several more feet of documents? Did you just say Several that? more feet of documents. Feet. Like okay. feet. Not like <laughs> patter, 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 but like measurement foot. Oh my God. Okay. I mean, 11,000 documents. That's a lot. That's, That's a lot. lot. Yeah. yeah. Pictures, statements, uh, everything. So this was largely in response to the late 1991 release of Oliver Stone's film, JFK. Mm-hmm. You've seen it. Yeah. Nice movie. Yep. Parts of which were actually shot in Dallas. And in January of 1992, the Dallas City Council passed resolution 92-0438 ordering the release of, quote, All files, documents, papers, films, audio, or any other evidence held by the Dallas Police Department or any city department or agency regarding the John F. Kennedy assassination, the murder of Lee Harvey Oswald, and Jack Ruby to the public and media immediately that the Dallas Police Department and other city departments transfer all John F. Kennedy assassination documents and related materials to the Dallas Municipal Archives and Records Center for Preservation and Release to the public, end quote. Now, because it had been nearly 30 years that nobody's seen any of these documents, all of a sudden they pop up and they're like, oh, the government must be hiding something. Right. So this is where a lot of the conspiracies kind of popped up. Mm. But I want to start off with talking about Lee Harvey Oswald. Who was he? Okay. Okay, Lee Harvey Oswald, LHO. Born October 18th, 1939 in Nolens, Louisiana, to Robert Edward Lee Oswald Sr. and Marguerite Frances Claveret. LHO's father, Robert, was a third cousin to President Theodore Roosevelt. Oh, okay. Yeah, and a distant cousin to General Robert E. Lee. Uh Robert also served in the Marines, but sadly would pass away two months before the birth of LHO of a heart attack. Robert Jr., LHO's older brother, also served as a Marine. After the death of Robert Sr., the family moved from New Orleans to Dallas, Texas. As a child, LHO was described as temperamental and somewhat withdrawn as a, and as a teenager would be admitted to a juvenile reformatory, mm-hmm. wherein he was diagnosed with, quote, personality pattern disturbance with schizoid features and passive-aggressive tendencies, end quote. Mm-hmm. He also may have had a literary disability, and now some of his writings, he wrote a diary. So a lot of his own personal things are, like, all written out, and you can see, like, grammar and spelling and that kind of thing. So it could have been a learning disability. Right. It was discovered that Marguerite, his mother, gave LHO very little affection, and he always felt like he was a burden to her. Mm. The family had lived in the Bronx for a little while until school disciplinary actions would cause the family to move back to Nolens. Mm. At the age of 16, reports say that LHO was already studying communism. That's crazy. <laughs> but he would join Air Patrol in the New Orleans area. In 1956, he enlisted in the United States Marine Corps to allegedly get out from, quote, unquote, the yoke of oppression from his mother, end quote. So that came from his older brothers, making a statement. Oh, okay, okay. As a Marine, he was trained at Keesler Air Force Base, Mississippi. I've been there. I've had some training there myself. As an aircraft control and warning operator, which he finished seventh in a class of 30, which is pretty pretty impressive. Mm-hmm. Especially for somebody who uh, yeah. you know, potentially had a learning disability. Yeah, well, yeah. He reported to El Toro, California, wherein he met fellow Marine Carrie Thornley, who created something called Discordianism. Now, I had to look this up. It's a religion or philosophy centered around Discordia, also known as Eris, which is the goddess of chaos. Like, developed this whole, like, religion and theory. But he wrote a book 
about okay. it. And he wrote a fictional book called The Idol Warriors based on LHO. Oh. And this was the only book written about LHO before the Kennedy assassination. The United States Marine Corps, as you may know, Chatters, is known that all Marines are riflemen regardless of their occupation, which was true for LHO. He was a sharpshooter and marksman, basically meaning he was slightly above average in the range and qualifications. Uh However, his career would be less than admirable. He endured three court-martials. He was first court-martialed after accidentally shooting himself in the elbow (laughs) with an unauthorized twenty-two caliber handgun. Oops. I know somebody who shot themselves Mm -hmm. in Florida. Mm -hmm. I worked with the wife, her husband, uh-huh. shot them himself with a gun that was in his pocket. So it happens, at least in Florida. I mean, <laughs> it does happen. <laughs> I just... I know. It's like, how does it happen? But You don't know your weapon. And you don't... It's like a carelessness. Uh-huh. It's a... To me, uh-huh. in my personal opinion. So the second court-martial was for assault on a non-commissioned officer who was responsible for punishing him in the first incident. And then the third court martial was her firing his rifle into the jungle for no reason while he was in the Philippines. Just oh. shooting up at ghosts, right? While in the Marines, LHO's pro-Soviet sentiments would arise, including self-taught Russian language. He would be discharged. He requested a hardship separation and claimed that his mother needed constant care and he was placed into the Marine Reserves. However, upon his return, he only spent two days at home with his mom in Fort Worth, Texas, and then began Uh his journey to the motherland. Okay. He arrived in the Soviet Union, issued a visa, and almost immediately began to share his desires for becoming a Soviet citizen. His visa was only good for one week. So he had a lot of work to do, Uh and he wasn't able to get it. But on the date of expiration, he applied for the citizenship. However, it was denied, and he was told he had to leave the Soviet Union. A very distraught LHO would then inflict a wound to himself on his left wrist in what he later wrote in a diary, which a lot of these are found in the archives. You can find these online as a suicide attempt. This delayed his departure because he needed medical care. And he was kept in the hospital under psychiatric observation for another week. Now, during this week that he was in the hospital, on four separate occasions, LHO spoke with Soviet officials who questioned his motives. And he continually insisted he just wanted to be a Soviet citizen. Right. LHO was taken to the U.S. Embassy, wherein he was interviewed and stated, quote, I've made up my mind. I'm through. End quote. Renouncing his U.S. citizenship. Is he allowed to do that since he was military? Yes. He is. Yeah. Okay. I mean, it kind of, yeah. basically unsuitable for service, failure to adapt. There's all kinds of articles that, Article 92 or Article 134 under the UMC, UCMJ, which you could be administratively discharged, conscientious objector, that kind of thing. So while he was at the embassy, he said he was a radar operator in the Marine Corps and that he voluntarily provided an unidentified Soviet official information regarding his specialty and that he may know something of quote-unquote special interest that would benefit the Soviet government. So basically he was threatening the U.S. Embassy that I'm going to become a spy if you don't let me renounce my citizenship. That's what I would worry about. Like, I like there's got to be something that we could do from people like that yeah. doing that. Well, (laughs) his military discharge would change from hardship to undesirable because of his actions. (laughs) So in his eyes, he actually, he felt he officially defected to to the Soviet Union. LHO was kept under constant surveillance by Soviets while he was given a higher than average working class amenity, such as a furnished apartment, supplemental pay while he worked in a local factory. After a few years, LHO wrote in his diary that he was starting to reconsider his decision. He wrote, quote, the work is drab. The money I get has nowhere to be spent. 
No nightclubs or bowling alleys, no places of recreation, except the trade union dances. I have had enough, end quote. Now, while the renouncement of his U.S. citizenship was never made official, like he felt he renounced it, but it never actually happened, he wrote to the U.S. Embassy in Moscow requesting the return of his American passport and proposed to return to the United States so long as any charges against him were dropped. While waiting, LHO met Marina Pruskova. Prusakova, Pruskova, some Soviet name. Okay. <laughs> and they buried April 30th, 1961, after knowing each other for six weeks. Oh, boy. <laughs> the Oswald's first child, named June, was born February 15th, 1962. On May 24th, 1962, LHO and Marina applied to the U.S. Embassy in Moscow for documents that enabled her to immigrate to the U.S. as a spouse oh, no. of a, a U.S. citizen, I guess. On June 1st, the U.S. Embassy gave Oswald a repatriation loan of $435.71. Now, a repatriation loan is basically where the Department of State provides temporary subsistence and transportation to a U.S. port, like to get them back to the United States. Now, this does have to be repaid, but the Oswalds were able to leave for the United States. Likely while aboard the Mazdam, which was the name of the ship that was returning LHO and his family to the U.S., he wrote some notes on the ship's stationery. These are also in, like, the archive files. And they appear to be a summary of what he thought he had learned by living both under a capitalist and a communist system. The notes reflect his unhappy and deepening feeling of disillusionment with both the Soviet Union and the United States and felt, although reform groups may oppose government in power, they always declare that they are for their people and their country. He then asked himself, like in this note, what would happen if somebody was to stand up and say he was utterly opposed, not only to the governments, but to the people, to the entire land and complete foundations of his society. He condemned existing political groups and proposed the formation of a third choice somewhere in the middle between communism and capitalism. Neither of which capitalism or communism was acceptable to him. And he said, quote, I have lived under both systems and sought the answers that I thought I would. LHO originally indicated on their travels back to the United States, he and his family would stay with his mother in Vernon, Texas, who lived in Vernon, Texas now. And his decision to stay with his brother, Robert Jr., in Fort Worth apparently had been prompted by his brother's invitation in a letter while he was in Russia beforehand. So all the paperwork, he said, I'm going to go live with my mother. Brother sends him a letter and he's like, I'm going to go live with my brother. But he didn't declare that. However, on his intake interview form, so come back over from the United States, you're going to get interviewed, right? For citizenship and like customs Uh and immigration agents, that kind of thing. So this intake interview, he listed his brother as his only relative on a form which he prepared for the New York Department of Welfare. Upon arrival to the U.S., he received less attention from the press than he expected. Like, he expected to be this some sort of, like, spy superstar. Mm -hmm. And LHO commented on the absence of newspaper reporters and seemed to Robert, the older brother, that he was disappointed that no one had appeared. Later, LHO said that he was anxious and wanted to avoid publicity. Two sides of the story. Yeah. Yeah. LHO and his family did stay with Robert Jr. and his family for about a month before moving in with his mother. During her testimony later, after the assassinations, Marguerite, the mother, said it was a happy time and she got along with her son and daughter-in-law. However, later, Marina, the wife, would also testify that LHO and his mother did not get along and suggested after a month that they should move into their own apartment. LHO started working as a sheet metal worker, lied on his application, and that he ha- that he had the experience, and that also said that he was honorably discharged from the Marines. Of course, he was not. Marina he- also said later he did not like his job, but was regarded as a good employee until he quit. 
Others said at the job he was quiet and kept to himself. The Oswald family moved to the Dallas-Fort Worth area after he decided he did not want his mother visiting them anymore. So he moved like far away enough where she couldn't just like pop in and visit. So obviously there was some issues there. And I mean, indicated too, like uh-huh. as, a, as a child, if he always felt that his mother wasn't loving enough. She did. Yeah. It's not going to get better in adulthood. Well, no. No. So. And once they moved to the Dallas-Fort Worth area, LHO would not see his mother again until after the JFK assassination. So, so I mean, a couple years, right? He's a grown-ass man. He's got his own wife. Yeah. He has kids. It shouldn't be about his mother anymore. Like, he needs to move on. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, come on now. Witnesses say that their apartment in Dallas was quote-unquote decrepit and that they were poorly clothed with scarce furniture and there was no bed for the baby. Oh, my God. That's terrible. That's not good. They were, like, on and off of welfare, un- like, in unemployment, and, and he tries to scam the system a lot, and I'm going to get into some of that. Uh In August 1962, LHO had a follow-up interview with with the FBI who asked him about his reasons for moving to the USSR. He denied being a spy for the Soviets and protested his undesirable discharge from the military. However, he did appear less hostile than in previous interviews that he had with the FBI. It's like he got calmer the more they started talking to him. And it's common for them to re-interview after so many months. Right. Marina also stated that LHO was upset how interested the FBI was in him and his activities. But it's like, I mean, it's, well, duh. You're just going to defect to the Soviet Union after being in the military. Mm -hmm. But he also didn't, so he didn't do himself any favors. The Oswalds became friends with many Russian-speaking Dallas population, composed primarily of people from Russia and Eastern Europe. They would socialize Mm -hmm. at gatherings and dinners, many of the same people with the same commonalities. Of course, his wife was also a Soviet. Most people in the Russian community were interested in the Oswalds due to their recency. They Uh had been in the United States for so long that they hadn't gone back. So they're like, and this was kind of like the beginning of the Cold War era too. So freedom of movement probably wouldn't have been very easy without being watched. So they were, Uh they wanted to talk to the Oswalds. Allegedly, this community helped them also with clothing, groceries, transportation in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. This, however, would make LHO furious to be provided for. And on at least one occasion, he went into a rage about not needing any of the things the Russian community was providing for them. They liked Marina, but they tolerated LHO. Uh This would also overflow into their marriage, and people would claim they would see Marina with a black eye. When questioned about it, Marina said she walked into a door, of course. However, she did confide in Marguerite, LHO's mother, that LHO had struck her. And in her testimony after he died, Marina said, quote, Immediately after coming to the United States, Lee changed. I did not know him as such a man in Russia. He helped me as before, but he became a little bit more of a recluse. He was very irritable and sometimes for a trifle, end quote. They would separate and Marina would stay in Fort Worth and LHO would move to Dallas. LHO went to the Texas Employment Commission in Dallas in search of a job. His counselors said that LHO came into the office and was reluctant to gain employment in the industrial business, but would rather do clerical work. This may have been common error that LHO was kind of like just a clerk. I don't know if you ever heard that. Like, And actually, our chatter Tom mentioned this, saying that he was a clerk. You know, how can a clerk be such a good rifleman? Well, he actually did well, you know, shooting at the range, mm-hmm. but he did become a clerk afterwards. Right. And he worked at a school book repository when right. during the assassination. So on October 11th, my birthday, he was referred to Jagger's Chili Stovall Company, a graphics art company, in response to a call from John Graeff, a photograph department of the company who told the employment commission he needed a photo print trainee so through this you know employment company or whatever like trying to get you 
work he got hooked Mm -hmm. up with a photo print he was picked over other applicants so he apparently made a good impression and on the following day he began working in his new position as a trainee making prints of advertising materials for approximately a dollar 35 an hour oh my god and this what year when was this 1962 okay now the oswalds would rekindle and they settled in dallas in an apartment in late October 1962, but this would not last long. LHO was witnessed slapping Marina because she didn't have a zipper on her dress completely clothed. Like, it wasn't closed all the way up, so he hit her. Oh my God. They also argued over Marina being quote-unquote allowed to smoke. There was another okay. fight when LHO told their landlady that Marina was from Czechoslovakia, not the Soviet Union, in which Marina became very upset. And she went to the landlady, clarified, I'm from Soviet Union, not Czechoslovakia. And then that pissed LHO off. So they got into another quarrel. But after this, she moved out again, moved in with her friend, ultimately deciding she would never return to her husband. When LHO would visit her, Marina testified that, quote, I saw him cry. He begged me to come back, asked my forgiveness, and promised he would try to improve. If only I would come back, end quote. On another occasion, she said, quote, he cried, and you know a woman's heart. I went back to him. He said he didn't care to live if I didn't return, end quote. So that same day, after he threatened to kill himself, she decided to return to him, as most narcissistic manipulator men do. The Russian community who had helped Marina during their separations like she would stay with some of them while they were separated they felt that their efforts were kind of in vain so one of the families marina had stayed with testified that marina contemplated suicide during this period because lho was treating her so bad she had no friends she felt there was no way out marina did acknowledge this when she was asked about it later after lho had died okay LHO often wrote to the Soviet embassy in Washington, D.C., and on one occasion asked how to subscribe to Russian periodicals and for any periodicals or bulletins which you could put out for the benefit of citizens living for a time in the United States. So these are just some of the actions where, like, he's continually, like, demonstrating his belief in the communism system. Yeah. In December 1962, the Soviet embassy received a card in Russian signed Marina and Lee Oswald, which conveyed New Year's greetings and wishes for health, success, and all the best to the employees at the Russian embassy in D.C. They continued to correspond with acquaintances in Russia as well. Now, soon after his return to the U.S., he started to correspond with the Communist Party USA and the Socialist Workers Party. So these were Mm -hmm. like groups that were kind of, I don't say anti-government, but were trying to kind of establish different parties in the United States. He wrote additional literature from these organizations and attempted to join the Socialist Workers Party, which, however, had no branch in Texas. He sent samples of his photographic artwork to the Socialist Workers Party, the Worker, and the Hall Davis Defense Committee, and offered to aid them in printing photographic work in connection with the posters. Like, basically, like, I'll help you advertise. Mm -hmm. These offers were not accepted. (laughs) Marina said that he read books of historical nature to include H.G. Wells' two-volume Outline of History and by Biographies of Hitler, Kennedy, and Khrushchev. Khrushchev? Okay. The Oswalds moved out of their Elizabeth Street apartment on March 3rd, 1963, to an upstairs apartment several blocks away at the 214 West Neely Street. Marina preferred the Neely Street apartment because it had a porch and she felt it was more suitable for June, their daughter, not the month. Mm -hmm. In April 1963, Marina was invited to a picnic by a friend, Ruth Payne, and recalled the following One day we were invited to a friend's house where I met Ruth Payne 
who was studying Russian here in America and wanted to improve her conversational knowledge. We began to see each other. Ruth would come to see me with her children. This was very good for both me and for June. She was growing up alone and becoming terribly wild, so the company of other children was good for her. Sometimes we went out on picnics at a nearby lake. Lee loved to fish and would look and rejoice if he caught a little fish. Several times we went to visit Ruth, who lived in Irving, Texas. This really comes into play later. Marina also confided in Ruth during this picnic that they were expecting their second child. Okay, so LHO was known to use the name Alec James Heidel on identification cards, which probably were produced at the Jagger's Chili Stovall Company, where he'd made these like advertising, photographic advertisements, right? Mm-hmm. One of his fellow employees taught him various photographic techniques, which he could have used to prepare not only these cards, but also samples of his work, which he sent to various communist, socialist-related parties. Mm-hmm. Using the, this name, LHO ordered a Smith & Wesson 38 revolver from Los Angeles, dated January 27th, and a rifle on March 12th from Klein Sporting Goods in Chicago. Over the weekend of March 9th and 10th, 1963, LHO conducted recon at the home of Major General Edwin Walker, a forced-to-retire U.S. Army commander who was a known anti-communist and white supremacist. LHO photographed an alley of the rear Walker's home and nearby railroad tracks, basically as a way to, like, just take pictures of kind of how he's going to plan. He planned to shoot General Walker. LHO's first attempt on the evening of April 6th or 7th, however, he changed his plans. He hid his rifle nearby, and he was determined to act on it the following Wednesday. So on April 10th, a nearby church was planning a meeting, which LHO reasoned he would use to create a diversion that would help him escape. So on that day, April 10th, LHO left a note for Marina telling her what to do if he were apprehended. He retrieved his rifle, he fired at Walker, but the bullet narrowly missed Walker's head. LHO hid his rifle again and took the bus home. When Oswald told Marina what he had done, she became angry. She made him promise to never repeat such an act. She testified that she kept his letter, intending to give it to the authorities if he repeated the attempt. LHO told Marina he was sorry and that he had missed Walker and said that the shooting of Walker would have been parallel to an assassination of Hitler. And Chatters, that's where we're going to end it. Ah! We got a lot of backstory on Lee Harvey Oswald. Probably a lot that you guys didn't know. Yes. I mean, a lot of sympathies to Russia. Not quite 100% happy with the Communist Party, but definitely not happy with, Mm -hmm. you know, the capitalists in the United States. Trying to kind of find his way. We've got an assassination attempt already. Like, Mm -hmm. there's no... problem. Yeah. So basically, because he was anti-communist, white supremacist, he was... that, That was his motivation for trying to kill this General Walker. A lot of mommy issues, commitment issues with the wife. Now we got another baby on the way. Oh, yeah. Things are boiling over Things are boiling over. So we'll pick it up a little bit more kind of on his inability also to hold a job Mm -hmm. next week. And then we'll talk about really some of the other events. Now, keep in mind, he bought a pistol and a rifle using this other pseudonym name, this Alex Heidel. A lot of that's going to come into play next week as well. Okay. So it's, I mean, it's a lot. It's very historical. Mm -hmm. Super interesting read. All of the stuff, all 11,000 plus documents you can find Mm -hmm. at the archives. And all of it's like scanned in. But I am going to save, I found a ton of pictures to include LHO's autopsy pictures. Oh, cool. That are public. So we're going (laughs) to. 
We're going to put those on the Patreon. Tons of pictures. Also, Jack Ruby. We'll talk a lot about him next week. He was the one who killed Lee Harvey Oswald in the basement Mm -hmm. of the police department. And a lot more to get into, especially in the actual assassination. We'll get into the conspiracies and all that stuff next week. Yeah. Because we don't want to leave you hanging for more information on this case, please check out After That Crime Chat. Yes. I'm going to go ahead and post some pictures kind of leading up to some of the documents and that kind of thing some of his diary notes Mm -hmm. leading up to kind of what we talked about but don't forget to follow us on crime chat with nancat on facebook instagram youtube twitter tiktok to see what we have coming up next but of course we're going to do part two of the lee harvey oswald yes and remember crime chat with nat and cat subscribe to our patreon you receive bonus episodes behind the scenes bloopers and merch in the works as well as don't forget to check out mad love cosmetics yes and pick up your crime chat crime and cosmetics palettes killer killer season one killer eyeshadow palette you guys do not want to miss it so we will see you on the next crime chat bye